So welcome to the Quality of Mind Transforming Business podcast. This is where we explore the new game-changing understanding that can unlock new levels of performance, resourcefulness, and well-being in the workplace. Join us if you want to be part of the new breed of leaders in business. Join us if you're fed up with the conventional echo chamber. And join us if you want to be part of the new revolution in understanding how the mind works and recognize that we are more than just our psychology and that that can lead to better results. Hello and welcome to the Quality of Mind Transforming Business podcast series. So today's episode, I've got a lovely conversation lined up and one I think which will be beautifully challenging and something to help listeners explore their current views and see if they want to change their mind about something. Uh, And the reason I say that is because I'm joined by a a new friend of mine, Katrin, who I found on LinkedIn was posting things that I just couldn't help resonate with. And I love the style of how she writes and I love what she's pointing to. And I thought I must reach out and connect because we seem to be on the same page and have the same view on certain things that we read about and hear. So Katrin, thank you so much for um, coming on the show and joining me in this conversation. Thank you. I'm really looking forward to our conversation because I, I agree, we're going to go deep and look at some stuff that might be counterintuitive. Exactly, which is what we always try and do in this show. It's always food for thought, something to get people a little bit curious uh, and to bust that echo chamber. So first of all, Katrin, do you mind giving listeners just you know a, a minute or two about your background and, and what you do? Sure. So um, at the moment, I coach leaders for um, towards selfless leadership, which we're going to talk about selfless servant leadership. And um, I do this exclusively now after a 20 year career, basically in change management, organization development, coaching as well, always formal, informal roles. So I had this whole um, career in the area of um, trying to develop organizations and people, including leaders. And um, then went solo and now really focusing on actually the combination of non-dual insights, right? So the non-dual understanding of um, that we are not separate selves, which we're going to talk about as well, I hope, and bridging that into the leadership development area because um, I'm convinced, and that's also the methodology that I use, that this leads to the type of leadership we really need at the moment in organizations, which is an authentic form of servant leadership. Yeah, and I think for, for regular um, listeners to the quality of mind and those people who understand a little bit about it, what you'll start to see if you follow any of Catherine's stuff is she's pointing very similarly to what we point to a quality of mind, but she's coming for a slightly different door, selfless and servant leadership. And, and can you just give a 30 seconds on selfless and servant leadership, just to see what you mean by those words? Yeah. So servant leadership, there's the whole literature behind it, uh, started by Greenleaf in the seventies. And this was the ideal of serving others first as a leader. So a leader is not there for, for the position or the title or the status, but their goal should be to serve other people first. And I agree with that, but the way to get there is um, completely different in my view. So this is what I call the moralistic version of servant leadership. It's developing yourself into a good person. 
So I agree with the concept of servant leadership, which I call selfless leadership, because selfless leadership to me is literally leading without the concept of a separate self. So instead of me being an ego, trying to do good in the world, I see that I am not a separate self. And what remains is literally selflessness. So I'm automatically in service to others because I'm no longer interested so much in myself and its needs and desires. And that's so beautifully put. So the way I'm hearing that is that what we might have thought servant leadership or selfless leadership is would be here's a code of ethics or morals of how I should operate in the world and that will make me a better leader in my organization better and the world better but that was coming from the paradigm or the, or the thought that we are the doer self and I need to be like this in order to help these things happen now what you're pointing to with, with selfless leadership is much more upstream in us seeing that actually the self is not a real and true thing. It, it is an activity of what we might call consciousness or mind. Uh, it comes and goes. And when we have some meta realizations about that, we just can't help but operate in the world, in the organization with less self. And it might so happen that we have some of those moralistic behaviors coming out, but they're not because we're doing them. They are just symptoms of how we are in the world. Exactly. They're, they're part of our true nature. So if we, if we have access to our true nature by seeing through the, the imagined, the illusionary self, we have access to exactly those qualities that we were trying to achieve by doing in the other paradigm. Exactly. And that so resonates with what we talked about with quality of mind. So what we thought we'd have a go at on this episode is to take some of the things, some of the common practices or ideas behind a lot of what's going on in development, leadership development, that kind of thing, and explore it from the lens that you and I are pointing to and see what we can challenge and point to as maybe what might be called collective groupthink or collective wisdom, but actually our myths. And invite you listeners to have an alternative view that once you start to explore, you might resonate with more than what you currently have been innocently, invisibly conditioned and taught to believe about how development works. So are you up for that? Completely. Good. Right. So, and then, and then what we'll try and do, uh, as always, we try and do that is not get too caught up in our own beautiful conversation about this and try and keep bringing it back to practical examples that, that people can see. So. One of the things we were just talking about before we press record was, we, you know, we could take something that I think a lot of people in organizations would, would believe, which is you take some development training or coaching or something like that. And most people, whether you're in HR, or whether you've been on the programs, you would say, yeah, it can be a bit hit and miss. Now, why would we say it can be hit and miss? Catherine, how would you answer that? How would you answer the question, well, why is some training and development and coaching hit and miss? Well, all of it is hit and miss. So, um, to me, leadership development cannot work reliably because it is not possible for a self to develop itself. So this requires us going into what, what the doer is and the lack of the doer. So we've been, we've been trained in our, in our culture to believe that we are a separate self and around the age of 18 months, 
you're told, here's your life. You're in control of it. It's your responsibility to live a good life, to develop yourself, to make the best out of things. And how you do that differs by culture. Some will say you need to, I don't know, own 15 camels um, or a Ferrari and others yeah. will say you have to become a, um, a CEO. The, the, the various, the paths differ, but all cultures assume that there is um, a separate individual called you who can take control and should take control of their life. Yes. So the reason it's hit and miss is pointing right to the core of what we, we would enable people to ha have a fresh sight on is that actually the premise of most trainings is you can do that. You can do this. You can be this or have this. It's a be, do, have model, isn't it often? And what we're saying is, well, you can't really, you can't do, as you said, re really blatantly, you can't do leadership development. No. So, so this construct that we create, it's, it's a construct, it's an illusion. It's the illusion of the separate self. And then we combined with that illusion is that we can, we can do things to the self, but I always, um, I use the analogy of software. So, so this is software, an app that downloads itself onto your hardware and it, the thing runs itself, but the whole leadership development or development paradigm is based on the illusion or the idea that you can kind of go in there as a software engineer and rewrite the code of the app. Yes. So the idea that we're taught and conditioned from, from school, actually, so it's not, you know, we're not just pointing at, um, I guess, professional development here or, or personal development organizations that the way people develop is by them doing something is a myth. Yes. Now, so well, what might confuse people is they go, well, how come sometimes development happens? Yeah. So this is the same as um, anything happens, right? You, you wake up, you decide to not do the things on your to-do list, but to take the day off and enjoy the sunshine. Now, immediately your mind comes up with an explanation for this. It's like, well, um, you know, the sun is shining, I'm bored, or I don't feel like working today. There's a whole litany of thoughts that justifies the action, but the action happens completely spontaneously. The next day you you work very hard and don't want to enjoy the sunshine at all. Again, your mind will come up with an explanation or the mind gets into trouble with itself and starts, you know, asking itself questions. Why are you going into the sun? You should be working, but this is all on top of what is actually just happening. Mm. So, and there are ways to look at this. We can talk about that. But what if you look clearly at what happens in your life, you see that you are being lived. So yeah. the body and yourself acts and does stuff, but it is not caused by an, by a, um, an author, kind of a, a small self inside the self that authors these actions. Yeah. Now, let, there's so much in that. So let's just pull that apart because... What we're pointing to here is that the way we've been conditioned and taught is there's a thinker or a doer that does something and because it has a reason, right? Because the sun's out and, you know, whatever it is. Now, what we're saying is, no, that thought that occurs to you as the explanation for why you were particularly wanting to do X or Y in a particular moment is not the cause of it. And, and he actually even neuro, neuroscience now, and I say even neuroscience because it's always on catch up is showing there's a delay between 
what I would call the conceptual mind's view of what happened and what's going on. And it, and that's why it justifies something, but to, to us, the self, it looks like there isn't a delay. And that was the reason. Now, what you're pointing to is going, well, actually, if we start to see that the, the thing we think is the self, you know, is an retrospective attribution of agency and advocacy, not which looks like it caused it, but isn't you start to see, well, of course I can't do leadership development. Yes. And this, this retrospective, um, it, it's, it's over the course of your life. So it becomes, these become recurring thoughts and because they're recurring and you have many of the same thoughts, it creates even more this illusion of continuity. But anyone who looks back at their lives or even just the past day, you see the out of character stuff that you do. Um, and if you're honest with yourself, you see this everywhere. And then there's also automatically this, this explanation by the conceptual mind. Ah, this is why I went to the supermarket and bought a bag of crisps instead of the milk I wanted to buy. Um, so this happens in, in, or in the idea of leadership development, it, the paradigm is there's a part of you that can take control of another part of you, your, your motives, your desires, your learning, your knowledge, and can manipulate that. So if you yeah. find the correct form of leadership development, you can develop yourself. The question is, which part of me is developing which other part of me? Right, right. And what you're pointing to there is a couple of things. Some of the kind of myths you're here is um, you just want to want it enough or you've got to find the right thing um, or the timing has got to be right. These are all kind of platitudes to this idea, kind of justifying why it doesn't always work in the idea that you can control it through willpower and discipline. That's, that's another one, you know, discipline and willpower, which is all, all coming out of the idea there is one part of us that can do it to another part of us. Now, if you start to see that there isn't, there's a Jenga sort of falling down of all the pieces where you go, oh, right. But we are so convinced at the moment, most of us, that there is a part of us that can do it to another part of us. And we just got to find the right key to unlock that. Yes. Have you seen these diagrams with what's in your circle of control? Yes. And I always love these because they're, they're nonsense, right? So I think you and I commented on one on LinkedIn the other day, <laughs> Already <laughs> politely as usual, but yeah, that th there was one like that. I know exactly what you mean. So I carry on and you a bit. Yeah. So these are everywhere and what's in the inner circle, what's, what's supposed to be under your control varies wildly. And it depends on which psychological theory you, you adhere to and all this stuff. But there's always an, um, a core of things that people claim you are, that are under your control, your thoughts, your willpower, um, your ability to learn. Sometimes it goes into emotions, sometimes even into other, how you react to other people. Um, but it's, it's fascinating because I would say this inner circle is empty. Hmm. And actually we, we, we could do a little one. Let's, let's do a little thought experiment on that right now. Let's see if we've got two minutes to do that. So. And I, I, this is a really interesting one to play with on free will. Lots of debates about free will. But if you take it very, very, very basically. So I, I and my desk at the moment have a cup of tea and a glass of water. Right. Now, probably over the last 20 minutes, if you play back the video of this recording, I've had some sips of that that I didn't decide to have. Right. And occasionally I remember having a thought going, I'll have some water now. Now, who put... Who decided whether I had the water? 
the times I didn't even notice I was doing it. And when I did have the thought saying, should I have some water? Where did that come from? Because I don't, I don't, you know, I don't have free will of whether that thought's in my mind or not. Sometimes it appears, sometimes it doesn't. And sometimes I just do it without even having the thought. Exactly. So these are two aspects. I, I call this exercise find the decider. Yeah. Because you can you can look back and if you're it's, it requires extreme honesty and observing yourself almost like a scientist to see exactly where does a decision occur, where does it come from, and where do the thoughts that apparently lead to the decision come from. And if you look at that clearly, you see that they just appear. Yeah. So if you're going to become, suppose you're you're interested in a particular form of leadership, empathy, for example, you want to become um, you want to have more empathy for for your team. You decide to follow a leadership course on empathy and compassion. I don't know. Where does this decision to go follow this course come from? Yeah. And that's where you see, well, it just, it happens. It appears in me. And then I follow this decision or not. I take the course or not. I implement the things I learn or not, but none of these steps are under my control. Yes. And exactly right. So whether it's about a glass of water, whether it's about going on a course, whether it's about to be empathetic and give someone a phone call, if you know that someone's ill or whatever, you know, wh where did that, where does that come from? And if we're, I think the point you said that was really important is if we are really neutral and honest in how we explore that. Right. As if we had no preconditioning from science or whatever, or how it works, and we did it from just direct experience, we'd have to say, uh, I don't really know. We could make up some stories, but if you're really honest, you'd go, well, sometimes it looks like that, but sometimes it doesn't. I mean, yeah. So I don't know where it comes from. Yes. And so people, um, I mean, everybody, if you look at just your daily lights, the, the, Amount of times you do stupid stuff or irrational stuff, it's immense. We just, we just, um, in, in, in our later narration, we always, we try to find even, even more complex psychological explanations for this. This is, oh, that was my subconscious mind, or that was because of my experience as a five-year-old with my mother. Um, so the explanations get more and more complex, but that doesn't wait, take away the fact that they are retrospective explanations for something we can't yes explain so so let's get back into development now because let's say we go on a course or read a book about being an empathetic leader or being an authentic leader or whatever it is and, and we'll read either we'll read something about someone who's been good at that right um and they'll say and they'll look back on why they're so good at empathy or authenticity or whatever it is and then because they're writing a book or a course they'll come up with 10 things <laughs> whatever it is it's either 10 behaviors or 10 attitudes or 10 mindsets or 10 ideas about that and then we'll read that and go oh and uh, you know they'll, they'll, they might resonate at some level and go yeah i can see that and then we'll sort of want our doer the made-up doer to try and do that now we're saying that's a faulty premise to start from now what about someone who's listened to this going, yeah, but I've been one of those courses and it did change me. You know, I became more empathetic as a result of reading this book or going on this course. 
What's going on there? How would you reply to that? Well, I, I say there's, I don't know if it's the statistically true, but it's the 50% chance <laughs> that, that this is what happened. You could have taken the same course, done exactly the same reading, and it didn't lead to more empathy. So, or so you, when it does, what, what's happening? You are being lived. The universe or whatever it is that grows a tree or makes a cat a cat is making you um, develop more empathy. So, so it's not that growth or de development doesn't happen. It's just that it's not you are the one who are making it happen. Right. And I, th I think that's key because I've, I've become fascinated over the last 10 years as how come when people come and do work with, with us on our courses or one-to-one -one coaching, whatever, they do quite often have quite big shifts, yeah. right? Now, if it was totally random, they'd be having those regardless of whether they came and talked to me or you or whatever. So it seems to be, and, and having talked to other people in this area, you know, they, they would go, well, there seems to be something in what we're doing in the course, the book, the conversation, but we know it's not us doing it to them who are then a doer because it's too random in how it happens, right? So I can have someone who comes on, can listen to a couple of hours of what I'm talking about and bosh, they're just away with insight and realization and wow. And someone else sitting right next to them who has been immersed in the same material will be going, what do you want about? Is it lunch yet? Right? So, and then maybe a, a, a week later, they're having a, you know, so we know there's something going on, but was, which seems to have an effect in the universal consciousness that we all are at some level, there is some degree of relationalness in that oneness that we all are, which maybe we'll get into, <laughs> but it's not me doer doing it to you doer so that you're doing it to life. Yes. Now, is that too vague for people? I'm just trying to work, work out if we can say that in a better way that was less weird and vague. I don't know whether you've got a more succinct way of explaining what I just said. Because there is something, I don't, it, it, I don't want people to think it's totally random because it doesn't seem to be at one level. It seems to be a correlation at least. Well, the way I put it is that what we are pointing to is, is the truth of our existence. So that's not something random. That's the truth of our existence. And this is outside of the idea of a personal doer. So this can always be seen because it's the truth pointing back to the truth. Yeah. And has nothing to do with a personal doer. And we're just removing interference. Yes. If you want to call it that, which, which is this idea there's a doer. So as soon as you, and, and it's really interesting for people, if you, you can see this in life because when, and I'm going to use some words that are, might, be unhelpful here when you when you have nothing on it or you surrender or whatever and you're and the doer is out of the way what happens in life so when people start things beginner's luck well how did you do so well doing that well, i don't know i just did or when you've completely given up on something new ideas come through um when you completely just uh, have a complete flow and you're just not there performance or well-being or happens so what we can see is that when there isn't a doer it seems to work better yes it removes for me it's removing barriers or illusions that are covering up the truth of our existence and this belief in a personal doer is one of those illusions or barriers yeah but whether you come to that whether you make the decision to go to a course that that teaches you this or you, take, you, you get coaching, that is all part of, of 
you know, the random universe. And that's not a personal decision. It's a decision that happens and you follow or you don't follow. But the truth of our existence is not random. It's, it's the truth of our existence. Yes. Yes. And then the conceptual mind will hear that, right? And, and listen, you may be doing this going, aha. So it's not random. Is it fate? So what's a new explanation, right? Because <laughs> it's always going to want an explanation in a story. So, so if it's not random, is it pre-fated? So I was destined to listen to this podcast with Catherine and Piers and, and, and then, you know, was it pre, I'm, I'm not buying into that either because that again would be me, the doer trying to have an explanation about needing to know how it worked. We have to be okay with sitting in the space of not always having an explanation or justification for why something happens, or if we do have one, enjoy it, but no, it's not really much to do with it. Yes. So for me, um, the fate argument is still within the, the, the individual. So yeah, things he's wanting a reason, mm. but the point is things don't happen to you, to you. They just happen. Mm. Mm. So that's where the confusion comes in. Yeah. And, and we think the you is this, they go, well, it wasn't me. There's a body mind here. Look, I've got hands and feet and you know, the body mind. people who are new to this might go, what you're saying there isn't a body mind. Well, there is the appearance of one, but it's not owned by a AU. It's just an appearance, you know, you, yeah. it's just turning up on the screen of perception. Um, okay. So let, let's get into another one. Just we'll, we'll come back down into sort of maybe more relatable again. Um, one thing that I've spotted, I know you have too, is in the world of development now, how we try to reverse engineer. So the, the idea that if something works, we should be able to replicate it. And I, and I was a big NLP, right? So for those of you who um, don't know NLP, NLP, Neuro Linguistic Programming, one thing it did is it modeled people who are very, very good at stuff and then almost learned their strategy and then re reverse engineered it. And it, then that became a prescription and then the doer would do that. So one thing for people to get curious about is how often am I trying to, I've seen an outcome I want, the, the self has seen an outcome it wants, and then it's worked backwards on how to get there. And it's trying to find the way to get there. And actually, if you ask yourself what's been great and less great in your life, probably people find that when things just happened without the real attachment to, I need to get there and work backwards, it's been a much more enjoyable synchronicity ex experience. Yes. It's, it's effortless. So, um, the difference for me is between, um, the whole leadership development literature and leadership literature is about striving. So it's about becoming something, striving towards something. And if you just find the right method or the right tools, techniques, whatever, from the right behavior, which we reverse engineer to find the tools and techniques, then you will become the same, or you can develop yourself in that direction. But that's like saying, well, um, for, first of all, it assumes we understand causality, which is extreme hubris. It's, it's like saying, well, if, if, you know, um, if we all the, the umbrella and the rain example, mm. umbrellas that cause the rain, because when the umbrellas are up, it rains. To understand how human behavior in the whole of existence works, basically, we would need to understand all millions 
variables and how they interact. I mean, just from that point of view, it's ridiculous to assume that we can sort of reverse engineer this stuff. Yeah. Then there's also the idea that I am the doer and that I can actually decide to do this stuff and it will then lead to, you know, I do A and it will lead to B, which is also an illusion. Mm. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Let's take the one that the, another common one is I have to find my why. Mm. Yeah. So, so this is that, that's why there are so many leadership theories and consultants. There's, there's a basically a flavor of the month. So the flavor of the month, or maybe it's been a few years is then I need to find my why or my purpose. Some people will find their why and it will lead to, I don't know, something helpful, maybe more motivation or a better leadership style. Some people will find their why and it will lead to absolutely nothing in terms of change. Some people will never find their why and get frustrated that they're not finding their why. But all of this is ignored and it's presented as though it's the recipe. It's, it's the cookbook, leadership cookbook. Mm. And, and recipe, you know, for, for breakfast on Friday is find your why. And then you yeah. follow the precise instructions and throw all the ingredients together. But what comes out is not breakfast, but. It's funny. It's, it's, I, the other day I was talking to someone about what I do uh, as, as a new person. And they said, oh, it sounds like you've really found your why. And I was like, oh, if anything, it found me. Right. Yes. Not that there's a me anyway, but I just stumbled across it. And yeah. it, for now, it looks obvious that that's what I do. Right. My, my work. I mean, I, it may change. Who knows? It may change. I'm, I'm not going to own advocacy to say, well, no, it's going to be this for 50 years. But at the moment, it just seems really obvious and I can't think of doing anything else. So that gets then packaged up and going, you found your why. Mm. Aren't you lucky? You found your why. I was like, well, no, I don't see it like that. It, it, I just, it came, it emerged. Yeah. So I didn't seek it. Yeah. The thing with human beings or our identity is it needs security and stability. So we try to explain our worlds, our world with all of this, um, yeah, cookbook, recipes, reasons, causality, models, and this is one of them, but, um, it's actually the counterintuitive thing is that if you can see through that and actually give that up and realize, well, life is just completely unpredictable. It leads to more freedom and more peace of mind than the constant trying to manage and control everything. And that's the part where, you know, you need to get a flavor, an an experience of this before, before really believing that, because at first it just sounds, oh no, I'm going to lose all control. It's going to be completely chaotic. Yes. And you know, and I, let's, I'm going to explore that more in a moment, but the other thing just popped up while you were talking was this desire. And this recipe book method for psychological safety, right, which has been mm. big, you know, in the last five, six years. And, and that, and I've done other podcasts on this, is trying to find stability and security in something that inherently changes all the time, i.e. the psyche, the self, right? So you're not going to find it there. And we don't need to find it there because that's just something that's emerging on the screen of perception. So trying to reverse engineer this idea of psychological safety because you've seen teams perform better when you're feeling psychologically safe is again a misnomer mm-hmm. because it's it's pointing to find <laughs> stability in something that doesn't really exist in in, in the way so okay then so, let, so let, let's shift the conversation a fraction then 
because we've been dispelling lots of no it's not that no it's not that because someone might be going all right i'm listening here and i'm slightly resonating what you're saying i can see there's some i can see the glitch in what's going on at the moment it's not really working and maybe there isn't me that's a duo okay and and then their mind is now going so now what what, what are you guys pointing to instead how should we be looking at leadership development in this selfless way if it's not about being a doer? So what we can, we can discover that we created this illusion of the separate self and underneath that or, or beyond that is what we really are, which to put a word to it is universal awareness. That again is a concept and, and it's a word which makes it extremely difficult. And it's also extremely difficult to talk about this without some kind of experience. But that is the answer. Our, our true, what we really are as human beings is not the separate self. But is in fact what, what quantum physics calls universal consciousness. Mm. Yeah. And what in quality of mind language I call I. Just nickname it the I. Just, just to shortcut it. And it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because in answering the question, so what, now what? We're actually saying the first thing, or one of the things is to have your own realization, your, your own felt experience of, if you like, what we are, our identity, which we've been told innocently is this self-doer. And we're saying the first thing to do is to spot that's not what you are. You are this I, this universal consciousness. You are this thing that is awareness itself. You're not what you're aware of, that there's a, there's a piece before the content awareness, the capacity for awareness, the thing that's aware of being aware, whatever you want to call it. Now, that intellectually in words, you're like, what? But we can all experience that in any moment, right? And we all do. You know, we just don't know we do. So if there's a little thought experiment to give someone to get a, a glimpse of what we'd mean by this universal consciousness, this I, what would your, your one be just for a minute for listeners? Well, the first thing is to um, realize that at this or, or in every single moment, there is something, a part of you that is aware of what is happening. So it's, it's to find this position of the observer. So in whatever is going on, you a part of you has to be aware of it to experience it. So that means that you are already something more than your body, your mind, your thoughts, your sensations, your experiences, because you are also the one that experiences them. Hmm. Yeah. And, and it, the body is an interesting thing, isn't it? Because we think we, the body have awareness, but if you just now wiggle your toe, wiggle your foot and, and just look at that, where is awareness in that? Is, is, is the body aware? Well, not really, because there's something pre to be aware of the sensation. That, and if you didn't know about things called feet or toes, what actually is the awareness of your foot being wiggled? Before we had the knowledge and the concept of a toe, just sensation, isn't it? And I always like playing with the question, if we didn't know anything, we were like an alien or a baby, we wouldn't even say I've got awareness of my foot wiggling. 
we would just have a sensation. Yes, and we see that in small children, right? That they have to learn the concept of of separation and the con- concept of a self because before they learn that, there's just experience. They don't know it's my foot or your mm. foot. There's just sensation. Exactly, because there's no such thing as a foot for them because they haven't conceptualized. And you say to a little little kitty, "Where's it hurt?" and they stare at you because what they're really saying is. The sensation in awareness, <laughs> not they articulate that. We're going, well, is it there or is it there? Is it there or is it there? We're asking them to localize it down into this concept of the body. Yeah. So there are various aspects that you can use to start, to start seeing this. And, and we've just discussed two. Um, there's also the fact that if you, if you close your eyes and you forget everything, you know, you can't really find a boundary to to being present to your awareness. It, there, there's just anything you come up with is a thought. Exactly. If you're in a room of other people, where do you end and they start? Exactly. Yeah. Where does my awareness end <laughs> and it become them? Well, actually, it doesn't. I, I can't really put an edge on it. You could go as far as I can see. I can, I can see that far over there. Does my awareness end there? Well, no, I can think about France. So that, I mean, it's a really great question to ponder, isn't it? Where does my awareness, if there is a my awareness, right? So, because, you know, science is saying you're aware, you know, where's it end? Yeah. And if you're ruefully honest, as we said before, you can't really put an end on it. No. So where do I end and you begin is one of the practices that I, that I use in coaching as well. I mean, there are problems with this because if you just briefly ask your mind, you know, like we're doing here, the mind goes, oh, well, yeah, that's either, either the mind says, well, yeah, there's no, there's no borders. So what, or it says, what are they talking about? It's, it's nonsense. So at the level of, of understanding in the mind, there's no, there's no answer to this. That's not, that's right. You can do the practices. Right. Now you're right. It, it either just goes, oh yeah, I know that. So what it, it, it or it goes, well, I'm not bothering doing this or because of a scientific reason. Now, what we're saying is the value of this little inquiry isn't actually in your answer, right? The value is in doing this a few times, and it usually takes a few times to get over your narrative's view of what it thinks the answer is, but not that many times. It's amazing, you know, three, four, five times sometimes. In the actual process of inquiry, something, if you sense it, something slightly shifts that you can sense or feel yeah it's not an emotion but there's a slight expansiveness you could call or or an unshackling or or and in that we we sometimes have a resonance of oh in doing that am i aware question inquiry not looking for the answer or the right getting 10 out of 10 on the test of what you meant to say there's something in that because we're in in that we're decoupling or unhooking the content of our awareness from our capacity for awareness, the yeah. self from the eye, if you want to call it that. And that's the richness. And people start to see that after a bit, don't they? Yes. And, that, and that's where coaching comes in, I find, because we're asking the mind to do things, right? In these practices, we're explaining it in words. So it's conceptual. So the mind understands it. But the answer comes from beyond the mind. And this is so counterintuitive because we've been using the mind to answer everything for, for all of our lives. So to really go there, which is not a place, but an understanding, 
is, is so counterintuitive for many people to even make sense of what we're asking them to do. Yes. Yes. And it's a massive unlearn. And as people are listening right now, they might be going, well, how does unlearning help me be this amazing leader that you're, you're pointing to or, or whatever else in life you want to be? And it's being able to see the possibility that if we understand how our self has taken agency for stuff, it really can't. And we've lent into that. We're, we're rowing through life, not sailing. And by the unlearning, to, to mix the metaphors, <laughs> by unlearning, we're going to start to, the self's going to start to dissolve its power in it trying to own everything and do it. And that's when all the lovely development will ooze out at the end as a symptom. In the yeah, end. I, I find helpful um, these layers of suffering that we add to life. So mm. we're being lived and there's life doing itself, but the, the ego with its beliefs, the self, creates layers of suffering on top. Well, I have to do this. I have to get this done. I have to develop myself. I have to follow my agenda and all these things we have to do. So this whole shoulding, this have to do things, if you see you're not the doer, it disappears. Yeah. Which frees up endless amounts of energy and, and removes stress and anxiety about needing to become something that you're not succeeding or only succeeding half of the time, if you really look. So you're free to be. And this is where all these qualities start appearing. Well, if I'm not pushing my agenda, if I'm relaxing with what is, then I'm starting to be able to work with what is emerging. I stop judging other people so much because I see they're also being lived. So for the first time, I can really collaborate with people and, and really interact with them without this whole judgmental um, shooting and, and wanting and needing that is part of the personal self. So just this insight, being able to see that you're not the doer, creates so much of these leadership qualities that we were striving to get just, just from seeing that. It, and, and the amount of invisible or just innocent psychological efforting we do on the behalf of this self that thinks it needs to do life, right? And then it comes up with the belief system, the should, I should, you know, because it wants to feel like it's in control and it's, and it's, and, uh, you know, in a, in a way, it's so innocent because it wants to have a good crack at life. And we yeah. think the best way to have a good crack at life and to thrive and survive, and, you know, is to, to be better at do, being the doer. And we're saying something here that a lot of people are going to find uncomfortable because we're going, actually, if you want to have a better crack at life and really have a fulfilling, loving way of being uh, and get achievements and performance, the thing you've been leaning into and driving is actually getting in the way and we're saying go the other way yeah and that is wow well what happens if those but people might go well what happens if that isn't the case and it goes all wrong what i become just some kind of useless person sitting on the couch who has a rubbish life that that's the fear because that that they, they put so much into being the doer yeah but that's see that always comes up but it's like um it's always the question will be if you aren't the doer, you weren't messing up your life before. You're not going to start messing it up just because you yeah. figured up you're not the doer. <laughs> exactly. Because you weren't really the doer anyway. <laughs> you were just cranking a bit more noise in the head thinking you were. Yeah, it's, it's exactly that, isn't it? So the safety net is there, right? Life's doing you anyway. So it's not like if you understand what we're saying, suddenly it's going to start doing you. It was doing it anyway. You were just causing interference and noise. Mm. 
One of my, my favorite examples for myself is, is healthy eating because it's something I've been obsessed with my whole life. So I seriously, before I really saw this, I was worried that if I would see it, I would stop eating healthily and I would become some fat unhealthy slob mm. because I would no longer have myself in control of my eating. It was really strong for me. And I think many people can relate to areas mm. where um, there's one of these, you know, I need to be in control of what I put in my mouth. But the, the obvious thing is, of course, if I'm the type of, if my software is programmed to be interested in healthy eating, it's not going to change just because I see there's no software engineer in the pro, you know, doing the programming. Yes. So I continue, this body mind continues to be extremely obsessed with healthy eating because that's just how it's programmed. Mm. Mm. But that's not an efforting, no power based thing. It's just an obviousness. And the amount of time, it's an interesting example because the amount of time I used to spend before contemplating what does, or, or thinking about what does healthy eating mean? How do I get this done? How do I ensure it stays that way? Um, that's all gone. It's completely yeah. gone. So I don't worry about healthy eating anymore, but I'm still just as interested. Yes. And that, that's a great example because a bit like personal professional development, there's so many theories and books about what you should eat. You should be this, you should be keto, you should be vegan, you shouldn't. Right. So if you try to do that, you probably confuse yourself anyway, right? And, and you get in your head about, oh, I didn't do it right yesterday and that's why I feel like this today. And then you start to thingify it and you super identified with it. And then you can't even tell whether you're healthy or not probably half the time because you're so concerned about measuring your health. That you don't even know whether you are. Yes. So you're completely blinded. You're in a conceptual universe. And this is exactly the same thing as happens in leadership development. So you're, you're worrying. Most of my clients, they worry about how do I become a servant leader? What is servant leadership? What is selfless service? How do, what does it look like? How do I get there? How do I then behave? What skills do I need? And, and the paradox is that when you, when you're able to stop worrying about that, because you see that it's none of your business. That's yeah. when you find these things within. Well, I am selfless service because I am selfless and I am in service to something greater than myself. Mm. Yeah. It, it's, listeners, as always, it's so blindingly simple. It's not easy, right? Because it, it is, it is something that we, that self mind will overcomplicate. So just to bring this back round now, because, because the time, times are ticking. How would you sum this up for listeners in, in what we've been saying over the last half hour? How, how would you want to give a synopsis of this, Catherine? So we're, we're trained or we are conditioned to believe that we're a separate self, which is in charge of our lives. So we have to do our lives. We have to manage them, control them, get things done. The fact is, or the truth behind that is that we are being lived just, just as a tree is being lived. You know, a tree doesn't have to sit there deciding where to grow a new branch. It just grows a new branch. A cat doesn't have to sit there, you know, figuring out how to manage its fur. It's just part of the programming of the cat. And it's exactly the same for human beings. Now, the fear is that when we see that, we're going to end up a vegetable on the couch and won't do anything anymore. But that's still this illusion of the self, that the self sort of undo itself and then be a negative self. But what we're saying is much deeper. It's saying that we are, we are being lived and programmed to live a life and can therefore stop worrying about our agenda and having to do things. We, we will be lived and we can let go of this whole need to achieve, get things done, to be a person because we are personed. 
by the universe. Mm. And when you start to see that, spot how many myths you can find in the world of leadership development or or whatever it is, because you'll start to see them. You'll start to get eyes for it and go, oh, that looks like that's the case because of this mistaken identity of of, of us, the doer. And because it doesn't take long to get cute to this, to start to go, aha, I start to see it. And I would then also highly recommend that people start to inquire in the direction that we kind of a little bit pointed to and your book by the way which i'll put in the show notes is awesome at giving people some very accessible everyday ordinary little what i would call inquiry exercises or thought experiments where you can start to do that and regular listeners to quality of mind will know some of the ones i share as well and it doesn't take long to kind of recalibrate or just to start to get ah hang on a minute yeah and then you start to see all the other noise around of the doer doing the thing and you know and and then what will happen is i guess if i put it super simply is the idea of servant leadership or or you know being selfless just sort of comes along yes it's the natural result of the seeing it's exactly it's an outcome it's a symptom it emerges it's not because you've managed to do it and go, yay, I know how to do selfless. And what's beautiful is not only will that turn up, it, it doesn't take so much out of us. But when we do something from pure organic innate, that's because of what we are, and there's less efforting, we don't have to, it doesn't take, so, so we've got more mojo, we've got more joy for life, we don't get home and then go, Whew, that was a good day of, you know, I've done a heavy day of selfless leadership today. You know, <laughs> it's like being a two-year-old, you know, when they don't finish the day and go, God, I did some great in the moment playing today. I was really in the moment today. Two-year-olds don't do that, right? They just have a beautiful day just being two, right? Yeah. And, and, it, and other people will start commenting on it and you're like, well, I don't think I did anything. And, and it feels like you, you've, you've hacked the system sometimes. But you haven't. You just lent into what was always going on. That's a nice way of putting it. It's it's for me. I, I always say it's kind of like there's a river flowing through you. There's life just flowing through you, and that is then the selfless service. So it's not something you do. It's something you can't stop. Yeah, and and our and our conceptual mind, our our, our learnt self conditioning takes care of the muscle memory to 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 do stuff in life. Like your healthy eating example was beautiful because. You know, yes, you need a conceptual mind to 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 understand food types and body chemistry and all that kind of stuff. So, but that's already in your software because you yeah. you're conditioned that way because you like food, like like other people would like to know how to um, pivot a marketing strategy in leadership or whatever it is. So you still got all that, right? Yeah, it's not like we lose all that, and we've got abundance of that actually. You know, exactly. The, the knowledge doesn't disappear or, or your skills or capabilities. On the contrary, they're put in service yes. to the service. So yes. it's like driving a car, you don't, you know, just because you see this, you don't stop being able to drive a car. The knowledge of how to drive a car shows up when you're in the car. Yeah. And it comes that impersonal, beautiful wisdom, resourcefulness comes through the mold that is you, yeah. that is crafted by your conditioning. But it's not you, the doer. It's not you managing it. It comes through you, right? It comes through. And, and the best way I think you can see this is in sport. So you've got these athletes who are trained with a tennis player or whatever. So, that, so they know how to hold a racket. They, they've got big arms and they've got beautiful balance and all that kind of stuff. But when they do an inspired shot, 
that is that impersonal mind coming through their training. Yeah, and you'll hear them say that quite often, right? I have to get my ego out of the way. Out of the way. My goal, my ideas to be able to perform at that level. And it's exactly the same for a leader or or for each of us. Yes. So listeners, we're, we're, we're heading towards time. So hope you found something interesting in there. And if you have, I'd really recommend, as I always do, that you reach out with any questions, observations, insights. Check out Catherine's stuff on uh, LinkedIn. It's awesome. She's got a great book. Um, you know, I, I, I'm really glad that we, we came across each other in the way we did, because I think we, we talk about very similar things, but with a slightly different door in, which is beautiful, because the more doors in, you know, the, the best thing, you know, it can happen for people. So do check it out. And um, I'll speak on your behalf, but I'm sure you're very happy for people to contact you if they, if they want to reach out and with, with questions or just comments or anything like that. Um, so any, any final, final thoughts as we, as we press, press the pause on this one? Uh, I don't know. I guess I just like to say that it's, it's really, it's a bit counterintuitive what we've been talking about. And it's, you know, for many people, it's a struggle, but it does lead to a really fulfilling life. And I just hope many people resonate with it and are willing to, to do this work of self-inquiry. Yeah, and thank it, you for having me. <laughs> well, it's been an absolute pleasure. I, my guess is, but I'd never want to pretend I know, that there'll be another conversation we'll have, a part two to this one or, or something else, because I think we've got too much in common to, to not want to do it. So listeners, we'd love your feedback if you've enjoyed this one. So thank you so much for your time and coming on. And we're going to see what emerges. And listeners, as usual, have fun being curious. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast and want to know more, check out our website at qualityofmind.biz and also feel free to reach out and leave us a review or a comment. Until next time, have fun being curious.